Hi guys and welcome back to this week's episode of the Nursing Handover podcast. You have your favorite, your favorite three nurses, Diane, Clarissa, and myself, Jerry. How are you lovely ladies doing? You go first, Diane. I'm so good. I cannot complain. I'm good. I'm happy. How are you? <laughs> all Clarissa? good. Just getting on with it, but no, all good. I'm literally watching Say Yes to Address. Um, but no, it's always all been good. How about you? How about you, Jerry? I'm good, thank you. I've literally just been chilling. Literally chilling. I've had a nice weekend. Chilling like a villain. Week. And just obviously watching nursing news and boy, we've got a lot to discuss. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no. Apart from that, I can't really say much else. Things have been okay. Life is getting busy. Baby is growing. I can't complain. This is it. How do you, how are you guys thinking about, oh, sorry, I quickly put myself on mute. How are you guys feeling about the uh, change to the vaccine mandate? It's absolutely crazy, huh? Oh, well, let me let Diane go because I know she's got a lot to say on this. <laughs> okay, so if you're not someone that follows the UK news, I mean, it's probably been publicised everywhere, but just to give a few bullet points, I think it was around Christmas time. The it was just before Christmas. Yeah, said that he was going to mandate vaccines for NHS healthcare professionals after they had mandated it for care workers in November, and they'd seen care workers obviously lose their job. Um, fast forward to about what January ish, or yeah, January when Dr. Steve James kind of challenged Sajid Javid when he visited his hospital. And mm-hmm. that kind of got the ball rolling and kind of intensified this resistance to vaccine mandates. Um, so on the 31st of January, it was revoked and it was stopped and it's been reversed. And I think it's now in law that they actually cannot mandate this vaccine now. Wait, wait, um, wait, 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 wait. It's now law that they cannot mandate this vaccine now. Yeah, that's what I heard that. Like it's in legislation that they, they can't mandate it. If I'm wrong, don't quote me, but that's what I kind of heard that it's been revoked. So they can't, it's not going to happen. And it's probably going to go through some kind of legislation. I'm but, but, but they are making changes to the Human Rights Bill. So I also urge everybody to go and read about it because apparently they're making changes there. Hmm. But that's, that's a story for another day. But anyway. Um, that's thing. They're making yeah. changes in the Rights Bill. How dare they? How can they do that? Well, they're doing it, aren't they? And these it's not being publicised, is it? So these are the people that live above the law, and nothing stops them. But they're hurting us. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how do I feel about it? As somebody who is unvaccinated, I obviously am happy about it. It means I can still have a job. It means mm. I can still continue making the plans that I had. Um, but it also does really concern me because. Obviously, I can't name the trust I work for, but knowing the trust was prepared to see me leave the job that they need me to do, and I emphasize on need, um, and were willing to let me walk away because of my my choice on my body, does concern me. Um, and it does give me a sense of no job security, if that makes sense. No, yeah. a lot of sense. Because, because it, really, and I, this was something I've been saying prior to all of this going on. Mm. When it came to clapping and other things and no PPE, 
our individual trusts were able to speak up and this and talk about it. As soon as it came to this mandatory vaccine, I'm using air quotes here. Mm. All you see is tumbleweed mm-hmm. and sheep. Because where was the same energy we had for people for when we didn't have no PPE? Where was the same energy when we were crying at how we're working in really bad situations and things like this? But no, because you want everyone else to be jabbed, these times they're probably not even jabbed themselves. They're trying to like, oh, it just literally. I mean, I think for me, what made me what makes me upset about the whole thing and makes me angry is when you're training, be it I'm a doctor, a nurse, a midwife. You're taught about bodily autonomy. You're taught about consent. You're taught about respecting people's morals and values. You're taught you're, you're taught to be non-judgmental in your practice. But again, as usual, the people that offer the service aren't given the same grace. You're just expected to because it's your professional duty to do something. But you would never make me force a patient to do anything they don't want to do, even if I think it's the right thing for them to do. I can't make that choice for them. Exactly. Um, so and that's what concerned they, me. Who are they to make us feel like to push us into a corner? Yeah, like you said, we can't force we can't force our patients, services, whoever. We can't force anyone essentially, unless it's in the best interest. But even that has to go through vigorous things before we can even get there. Vigorous assessments and yeah. stuff. How can they yeah. force us to get an injection? Like we said last week. Oh, I'm not sure if we said last week or just in general in our own conversations. My hep B has expired. I don't see no one chasing me for that. No. Yeah. And and also as well, again, and this is an argument that I've seen on a lot of forums and a lot of pages that, oh, to become a nurse, there's certain things you have to have. But people need to remember those are recommendations. They're not mandatory. No one is told they have they have to have those things to practice. It's a recommendation. You're advised, you're given information. There's an opportunity to have informed consent. You can't just be forced upon it. You must do this, you must do that. And I think for me, the rhetoric of mandation is dangerous because if you can mandate this, you can mandate it for so many other sectors. Yeah. Um, example and I'll be un- like, for example, like the mandatory abortion, like you can't you can't have an abortion. Yeah. It's on the same level. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, yeah. to me, it's as extreme as that. And my concern is you're giving people who have no healthcare knowledge a lot of power over healthcare. Exactly. People that don't even access, people that don't even use the health service. And this could be a very bold statement. I don't know if I'd get in trouble for saying this, but if the mandate had gone through, people would have died because of lack of staff and the risk of patient safety. But it's and true. to me, it's a and so Gene Javid would have had blood on his hands. And that would have been, to me, a criminal offence. Because you would have knowingly crippled the NHS service, knowing how bad it is now. And student nurses, I feel so bad saying this, because I don't want to put anyone off, but it is bad right now. There is not enough staff. Every service you hear is overwhelmed. Everybody needs staff. And even the staff that are in the service are tired and burnt out and exhausted. So the cycle is so vicious and it continues, unfortunately. So how can you say that the health of this community the health of this society is such a priority that you would actually cut the specialist staff that you have because you want them to have a vaccine what was I going to say yeah so in regards to the burnout as well I think you hit the nail on the head it's knowing that we don't have that job security a lot of people 
are working and they're thinking, no, like, why am I going to be sweating? Why am I going to be worrying? Why am I going to be running around like a headless chicken for you to literally say, oh, yeah, you know, tomorrow you're being fired. Bye. Why do, who, why do we want to work for that? I still, I can't lie. I think you know? we're still going to walk. Yeah, I think so. Like, yes, they yeah. did keep their jobs, but just like Dan said, there's no jobs, like, there's no job security. So you're telling me something something else can come in now the same because we don't have it. We've got three months to get it done or else, you know, we lost our jobs. Yeah, or- no job protection, no nothing. All of the, all of our placements, our placement hours, our studying. Yeah, no, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I, I think, I- mm, go ahead, sorry. And I was going to say, even to the point that student nurses were told they'll be stepped off the course if they don't get the vaccine. Exactly. Whereas you want new staff because, uh, like, we're depleted. And as it goes on, exactly. this is what you're saying, like, make it make sense, please. Yeah, I mean, I, follow, follow the science. Yeah. I, if I was a student nurse, I would have thought to myself, you know what? If they're treating us like this now, no, I don't want to come in. Because why do you want to go in a company that's just going to, you know, with a click of a finger, just lay you off for no logical reasons for something that they're teaching you not to do? Like like you said, they're teaching us to respect people's um, decisions and whether they want the vaccine or whether they want certain treatment or whether they, you know, they don't want to have treatment. We've got to respect them for that. So why can that, can that not be applied to healthcare professionals? It doesn't make sense. You're teaching, you're being hypocrites. Yeah. But then this, again, comes down to like, healthcare always gets treated so poorly because because they need us and we know they need us. We're not going to fight back. Like, it's a service that, if all else fails, it has to keep going. There's no if, buts, or maybes. For example, it's like going on a shift. If there's supposed to be 10 of you and there's five of you, the shift will have to run, even if it runs on reduced numbers. Or it, yeah. it essentially inverted commas closes for today. Just because it closes doesn't mean patients have gone home. Yeah. It will still have to run. Like they'll find a way. And this is where redeployment will come back, God forbid, and all sorts, because they don't care. I mean, but then even saying that, redeploy them, redeploying staff are taken away from you take them away from another service to fill up this service. So you're trying to fill a hole but creating a bigger one over there. Mm. for example mm. you know because you're robbing Peter to pay Paul but there's still a deficit no matter what and if anything we need to you know I mean I say we but all these chief executives need to look at staff retention they need to look at why people aren't choosing to do this job they need to look at why applications are down why do you still have 44,000 and counting vacancies well, they were no. willing to lose up to 80,000. So clearly 45 doesn't mean much to them. Yeah, for all that's that's the point. That's so true. And also our governing bodies, the NMC and GMC, I want to know what have they done during this whole mandate proposal? Did they appeal it? Did they just submit and accept? What do they do? I want to know what they have done because I'm getting the impression they didn't do anything or I they haven't. He- I could someone... be very wrong, but I feel like with many things, the GMC stands up with its doctors. Whereas yeah. when it comes to nursing bodies, we're literally tossed under the bus. Mm. 
again, I haven't checked what the GMC is saying. This is just from prior other things I've seen happen. Yeah. Oh, oh. no, I agree with you there. I think, I feel the GMC do support the, um, you know, the fellow workers a bit more than the NMC. And I think that's the general consensus amongst mm-hmm. doctors and nurses. They they say the same thing and we say the same thing. So it's something that is definitely noticed. Well, yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I feel like these last two years, healthcare has definitely been under the spotlight for many reasons. Mm-hmm. And if anything is identified, the need to nurture the healthcare system that we've got. But I feel like there's so many, only a few of us are singing from the same hymn sheet. You have half of the government trying to privatise it. You have the healthcare secretary who's just thinking about numbers because he's a businessman. Um, And you've got the few people speaking out generally who care about people and ethics and bodily autonomy and the fact that we need to nurture what we've got before we lose it. And I think once people start leaving the service actively, that's where the problem starts because a lot of people are going to walk and they're not going to come back. This is insane. Like, we're tired. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean just us as the three of us. I mean, in general, like, people are tired. Like, for example, waiting times have, have increased, like, more than double. Resources are scarce and limited if they're not, if they're not being cut. Like, people are tired from working with barely anything. And, and this on top there's, there's no incentive and I think that's where it's hard here for us as nurses so anyone who's abroad I don't know what your incentives are to nurse but for us you know we don't get free childcare, we don't get subsidized housing we don't get a pay a proper pay rise we don't get any benefits you, you generally have to love the job because you don't get any perks out of the job but even loving the job at the moment I don't think it's enough like it had, I feel like it's kind of gone beyond there because don't get me wrong I love my job but I am knackered I feel like I'm being stretched so thin I can't do my job to the best of my ability 100% which if anything I, yeah. it's just gonna burn me out and okay yes you someone could say I'm on mat leave I'm getting rest let's not go there but still no no it's true you can't be the best nurse you want to be no you know you can't you can't give your patients 110% if you're running on one percent yourself And also, you know what I don't appreciate, and I don't know if some of your clinics do this, but most Wednesday meetings that we have, they keep talking about funding. We don't have funding for this. We don't have funding for that. We are in debt. We need more patients coming in, ETC, ETC. And it's making us feel really helpless and useless. And it's just other, I just say it's another, you know, aspect of fear mongering. You keep we don't have enough funding for this. We don't have enough funding that we're in debt. Everyone, again, it goes to job safety. Everyone is now thinking, is my is my job on the line? Like, what's happening? You guys aren't being clear. We can't really do much in regards to this funding. What do you guys want to do? Honestly, this when it comes it. down to funding, I think back to that last episode we did just before I had Noah um, with, with Yvette. When it comes to funding, inverted commas again there is no funding but there's ways I feel like this is where again this is where you kind of need someone who's strategic and somewhat good with numbers within your team who also understands actually what you're going through not a businessman like Sajid Javid someone who can look and be like okay 
if we turn this around and do X, Y, and Z, we can save this thousand, this many thousands, which can be used into educating our staff or sending our staff for training. If anything, that's only going to benefit them. People who want to stay more because they've been they're getting the funding they need for the things they want to do. They're not feeling stagnant in their work in their work life or anything like that. I just those meetings are so depressing and draining because from where we are on shop floor, we can't change that. No. no, the stuff that they're talking about has to come from someone that's above us on shop floor. Shop yeah. floor, we're the like essentially we're the peasants. Yeah, we are. Sadly. And we're doing the job to the best of our ability. Okay, for example, like you said, Clarissa, they're saying that you haven't got enough people coming through the clinic. Let's take it back. Roughly, what are the ages of people coming through the clinic? All different ages. For example, if you want teenagers to come to the clinic, we've got to make it more appealing. Mm-hmm. But here comes there being you no know, funding. We've got to look at how we've got to, how we've got to communicate with them, whether it's creating an Instagram page or whether it's doing a workshop in a certain school to, to show the services. Like, I don't know if they're really opening their eyes to see the bigger picture here when it comes to funding, because there there is free free things again with air quotes that you can do. I can't lie, I can't imagine any school, secondary school. For example, if sexual health went to them, like we said, we want to host an assembly to make people aware. I don't see any of them turning it down. No. For example, like the UK has the highest rates of teenage pregnancies and things like this. Yeah. This is the thing that confuses me. So when I was speaking about going to schools, so back in the day, there was funding for sexual health and the schools used to pay sexual health clinics. But now schools don't have funding for it. So there's only a few schools that are able to fork out. But then, like you said, is this something that we have to charge schools for? Why do we have to charge schools for it? This is all down exactly. to austerity. That's all I can say. It's literally ruining, not, not even just healthcare. It's ruining all the different public sectors that there are to the point yeah. that they're so crippled. We have to become private. And it doesn't mean it's going to get any better. Uh. And I think that is what I find so hard is that things are changing and you're know, like you're holding the service and it's like slipping through your fingers mm-hmm. and you're just trying to keep it up. But literally it's pouring in every little crease yes. and you just don't know what to do. And the people are still coming and they still need the service, but you're just like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to even help you because I physically can't do it more than I'm what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Literally. Um, and it's like, what do you do then? But is that the people at the top don't get that they don't see it or I don't know what they see I don't know, I don't know what they see I, I refuse to say they don't see it I just refuse to say that because even from the outside even even with people who aren't health professionals they can see the strain they can see the lack of options that they have and the lack of resources and access they can see it themselves they definitely know we're understaffed they they feel it they feel it within the care so it's they not, don't care they they just don't care basically that's, that's they see the, it and think we can work harder because when you look at these when you look at the people that are now in these top places they were where we are 20 nearly 30 years ago when things were very different yeah so to them, they're like, oh, why are you complaining? Yeah, you've got a few more people here and there, but it's just not the same. No, it's not. It's not the same. And I think, like we said, something has to give. 
And to me, to me, like the service I work in, I feel like it's a ticking time bomb. Um, I feel like something's going to happen. Really? Yeah. I feel like nothing's going to change until something negative goes really bad. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's the usual lessons I've been learned or serious case review or breaking news this happened or you get those emails around your, you know, staff memo, whatever, you know, important information or emergency teams about ABCD. And it's scary. That's, 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 that's like an underlying fear of, God, something could happen. Mm. And who wants that on their chest? Nobody. No one at all. But every time you go to work, you're thinking, oh, God, this could happen. Because there's not enough people. There's not enough staff. You know, and I can't lie, if there's anyone listening who's in management, be nice to have somebody on to explain, like when a budget arrives, how you decimate it, how you how you give to this service and that service, how you keep an eye on it, what commissioners do. Like I would love to have someone like that on. Yeah. To get an idea of the corporate side of nursing or the corporate side yeah. of healthcare and how it trickles down from them to us. Because we don't understand what you do. I can't lie to you. No, apart we don't. From sitting, apart from sitting meetings back to back every day, I don't understand what goes on. Yeah. You know what would be quite good is if they actually made a course for co- like for nursing management, corporate nursing. So at least people like us from the shop floor can apply for these things and actually have that ha- have had that experience of being on the shop floor and just knowing like what is missing and how we know it's the best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, I agree. yeah, I mean. So talking about what is missing. I hope we jump into like our next thing that's quite kind of a big thing. The people are not talking a lot about it, but it's a big issue in child health. Mm. Um, so measles. Um, so we've seen an uptake in children having measles due to the poor uptake of the MMR. So MMR vaccine is the measles mumps and rubella vaccine. Now, I think it's like an 85.8% is now the rate. And what I think they get so hold on one second. So like they, the percentage of, of children that are having it. Eighty-five percent of kids are now having it. Nah, nah, nah. All this stuff was nearly eradicated. Yeah. And it's obviously all just stemming reasons. from people that just don't want to immunize. And I guess this is where it's, I'm gonna sound like the biggest hypocrite because I definitely did not want to take the COVID vaccine, but anyway, when it comes to I I don't even know what to say. Until you see a child or a baby or a toddler suffering from these conditions and it is really bad, it's like until the point people actually realise, no, I should really get this done. Yeah. yeah. So as of the 1st of February, um, the UK Health Security Agency to the UKHSA said that this is the, like, the MMR vaccine rates in England are a 10-year low. Um, and obviously, thousands of children are now at an increased risk of contracting measles. So we've had a significant drop since the start of the pandemic, obviously. Um, and not just in MMR, but also the other childhood vaccines as well. We're finding that people aren't getting them. Um, because people are believing, they're saying that there wasn't issues when they were kids, but that's because we were all immunised. Yeah, yeah, true. True. I mean, OK, so it says between July and September last year, most recent figures available show that just 88.6% of children had their first MMR dose by the age of two, while only 85.5% had both doses at the age of five. 
So mm. it means that one in 10 children aged five are not up to date with their two doses. And the World Health Organization says that 95% of children need to be vaccinated to keep measles away. And Gosh. measles are very contagious. Yeah, um, if you spread you that know, wildfire. Exactly. And really? Mm. Yeah, they're really contagious. And, you know, they can lead to complications like pneumonia, ear infection, inflammation of the brain. Um, it can result in, in death in extreme cases and even long-term disability. Um, and I think the concern that we have, like we've said, is vaccine hesitancy is at an all-time high. Like, all-time high right now. And you have a lot of parents who now are, who are very much don't want to vaccinate their children. They don't believe their children need the protection. And they are, would rather, you know, give them vitamins or be holistic in how they protect their immunity than vaccinate them but the um, thing is with all that being said yeah I'm all here for people like people have their own choice and everything like that but like I just said people are comparing it to when they were younger when like they didn't see these things because again we were all vaccinated like yeah unless something went horribly wrong when you were jabbed it's very unlikely your parents would have not completed it I feel like, you know, I might get shot for saying this, but I feel like we've created such a state. And when I say state, I mean like a society, such a state that people are so afraid for things. Like Mm. they've seen it. And now, you know, they're like, no, I'm going to become this holistic person who does not put any jabs in myself at all. But, you know, if I catch it, I catch it. If I catch it, give me all the meds possible. How does that make sense? Why don't you mm. prevent yourself with these vaccines that have been around for yonks, unlike the COVID vaccine that has only come out in the last year, year and a half? Year and um, a half, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's hard. So as somebody who's in a public health role, this is something that I talk about all the time, about in the immunisation schedule, you know, what is due when, and talking about, you know, the need for protecting your child Mm -hmm. but at the same time it is all about the parents decision ultimately they are the deciders um and it's difficult because a lot of parents don't want to immunize I must say out of the 10 that I let's say out of 10 a good six don't want to immunize anymore so do they tell you the reasons what do you see um do you see a correlation not correlation that's the wrong term but do you see a pattern in regards to the reasons I mean do you see a trend do you see yeah what do you see in regards to those who don't want the vaccine done is there any particular reason is it the same as each other or so a lot of people will say they don't want stuff put in their child's body that they don't really understand or they've researched what's inside the vaccines and there's like mercury in the vaccine and they don't want um their child to have like metal inside of them um, so don't you know, eat parents, fish then <laughs> you know parents who are cult it's like a cultural thing mm. um you know we don't vaccinate our kids or you know I've had a mum very recently say one of her relatives never vaccinated her kids and her kids are nine now and seven and they're fine so hers will be fine mm. um a lot of a lot of the issue we have especially with the MMR is the autism link I was gonna oh, ask because of that out. as well but people still believe it and people still quote it and people still have presented like evidence and say look this says this says that I wouldn't risk giving it to my child and though Dr Andrew Wakefield who did this research and it was obviously found to be flawed and incorrect 
people still believe that that does give autism it's an impact and that's something that in public health we still have to fight to prove that that that's not the case and the evidence shows that it's not the case and then also don't forget we're in a new era of internet and digital age Mm. so the compliance level is going to be less because people have access to so much information that you can tell them something they're going to go and read and read and read and read and read and and educate themselves in fairness because that's to them is they're educating themselves I mean, where they're going may not be evidence-based or peer-reviewed or a credible source, but to them, they did their research. So what's at university? (laughs) That's been studied a thousand times. And then it'll also be telling them to out here to boil pineapple skins that's covered in pesticides. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not wrong. No, No, you're not. You're not. You're not. You're not. And it's funny, like, when I think I don't have children, but I think when I have my kids, am I going to vaccinate them? And it's a question that I even ask myself sometimes. I'm like, are you going to do it? You're a nurse, so automatically wouldn't you just do it? Um, and in my mind, I feel like, yes, but then like, you also never know to you in the situation. And it is presents itself in front of you, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I also know that I would never forgive myself if my child was in a hospital bed in Piku because I thought that this could happen to them and now they're really, really sick with this thing. For example, my thing about it is again, people have not seen what kids look like when they have contracted these illnesses. So mm. it's hard for them to make a decision. It's easy for them to say, Yeah, I'm not vaccinating because I don't think X, Y, and Z. However, they've never seen a child with, for example, tetanus. They've never seen a child with measles. There's never seen a child with mumps or rubella or meningitis. And these things are really bad. Like, they could potentially kill. But so my question now that I put to us, like us here, is what do we think we can do to increase uptake or minimise vaccine hesitancy when it comes to the MMR? What do you think we as healthcare professionals should do or could do? Well, thinking back to like when I'm in a and and if I'm doing bank shifts, if I triage a family and they say that, you know, that's the one they've missed, ideally you're supposed to not necessarily interrogate, but like just ask questions as to why, like to find out why. Mm. And again, this is if if you ever have spare time in AE, is to also educate. But then I feel like when you've got something set in stone in your head, you're not willing to listen to anyone else. And mm. I, the example I'm going to use is when you look at cigarette packs. Cigarette packs have those pictures of those awful body parts mm. that those who don't smoke, it would deter them from smoking. Mm, Whereas yes. the ones that do smoke are like, okay, and? True. <laughs> it can never I mean? happen to me. So, they probably think it can never happen to me when exactly. they never Whereas, know. Exactly. Whereas when you look at like the vaccine hesitancy and stuff, people are like, oh, you know, my cousin, children never had it and those kids have been fine. And it will mm. take one. It will take one cough from someone with the, carrying the virus or whatever it is to infect your children, and it is game over. Yeah, I think I think what they're not understanding is if there is, and it says here clearly, if there is a fall in vaccine uptake, it's just the start of having outbreaks. The reason why say their aunt's kids are fine or the friend's kids are fine and they're six and ten or seven now is because 
back in their time, like back when the kids were younger, majority were having the vaccine and that prevented outbreaks. Now, if this ball increases, the risk of outbreaks is higher. Yeah. But to answer your question, Diane, I don't know if there's much that can be said. It literally comes from the home. Mm. And I want to say essentially like how you were raised, because if I think about how I was raised, my parents gave us majority, well, pretty much all the vaccines we had to have. Yeah. Whether they had the information about it or not, it's another question, but you know, yeah. we're here and we're all fine. And none of us have ever caught those things. And the yeah. same way for my own son, I want to protect him and mm. essentially protect those others around him. Because the last thing you want is to bring that stuff home. And there's and there's children and fam- and people who are immun- immunosuppressed or whatever the phrase is, mm. who if they catch these things, they will legit be wiped out. Yeah. Mm. So I think there's more to it, but I don't know whether it's just because we work in healthcare that I have this view. Yeah, but you'll be surprised. Like, there's some people in healthcare who don't immunize their children. That's true. Don't um, get me wrong. With things like the flu jab, I'm very hesitant. Like, I had the flu jab one year and I ended up with the flu. Disgustingly, so I vowed I'd never get it again. Yeah. And I probably would not give that to my son. Mm, yeah. If it's not, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word mandatory. If it's not one that I think it's worth, but then who am I to decide what's better than what? Yeah. 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 I think for me in a public health role, all I can do is educate people and point them in the right direction. But I also can't force someone. And we're all about choice and also empowering parents to make decisions. Yeah. So you don't want them to feel like, oh my God, every time I'm going to see the health visitor, she's going to keep going on about this thing to me. You know, all you can do is have the conversation putting them in the right direction where they can get the best information and the best evidence and ultimately they are the primary caregiver and they make the choice for their child yeah. and if they decide at one point they want them to have it great if they don't that's also their choice and it has to be respected as yeah. well um but it's hard because you think now that is scary to think a measles outbreak could be uh, impending and we're already in a state of a dire healthcare crisis already as it is mm. and if we now headed into a measles outbreak that again is scary for families for children for nurseries for early year workers that's worrying but um, and, and you yeah. know i think i think the question is also if there is an outbreak of measles this this could be this could be a resistant type Mm. it could lead to a variant that's quite resistant because of the vaccine because we've had the vaccine because we've had protection we don't know if this outbreak could potentially be a new variant and a new vaccine has to come out oh, so yeah. it's kind Don't of just like, everything huh? that's gone on already currently with the covid one people but see if that was to happen this would again push vaccine cop it's not income what was the word or hesitancy yeah vaccine yeah. vaccine hesitancy even more because yeah. people are already like all of us we're already angry about the covid vaccine and the mandates this is just going to be added to it it yeah. may not have anything to do with nhs workers or whatever they're going to be like oh 
same way you're trying to force NHS workers, the same way you're trying to force me to vaccinate my child. Like, mm. people use yeah. whatever without having the full knowledge, as we all already know. Mm. Also, I've got, just got another question. Do you think in this day and age, do you think a lot of people hold on to negative news, such as vaccines give autism, and they just kind of hold on to it? and they just I feel like some people they just don't want a happy story they don't want a happy ending they kind of like to live on the edge to think they're being all natural um they enjoy the blame game yeah I don't know I'm gonna play devil's advocate here and say that when you have a child your child is the most precious thing in your life Mm. like you would kill for that child you would make sure that no one ever hurts your child when they hurt, you hurt. When they cry, your body feels a type of way. Like, yeah, how you, it's a different level of love. Mm, and yeah. to me, to not vaccinate is a different level of love, but not in the way that we know. If that makes sense. Okay. So mm. that parent decision is made out of love for that child, mm. and 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 they are protecting their child. That's how I would see those parents see it. And yeah, do you know mm, what I mean? Yeah. That's how I look mm. at it. It's, it's like a labor of love in that way of I'm protecting my child. I don't want anything to happen to my child. Yeah. And they're kind of taking that control back from health by saying, I don't want to have that. Like, if anything, I would treat my child or I will look after my child. It's okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder what's been the shift then? So obviously, it's in times. our generation, say that again. It's times, as in generational, because like I said, yeah. when we were younger, most of our parents would be like, jab them up. Like, yeah. they didn't care what was in it. They they were told it's going to protect us against X, Y, Z. And they were like, okay. Yeah. That's it. And also, and also you would find that a lot of our parents, I think, do we call ourselves first generation because we were born here? That we call ourselves now? Yeah. Yeah. So our parents that came here, nobody wants to look different. Nobody wants to be seen as a problem. No one wants to be seen as difficult. No one wants to draw any unnecessary attention to themselves. So you comply. Mm. Mm. you comply he wants to be the nuisance mum that nobody wants to talk to or the one that's a problem none of you want Literally, to be like you said who just who wants to be the nuisance mum who wants that mm. title from them because the moment you've got that title the yeah. stigma and all that's already against you this is mm. it so you find that people comply by default because when everyone's done it so why would I not do it yeah I don't yeah. want my children to feel like they've got to be ostracized or separated this is it from the rest yeah or you don't know any different it's like, for example, you'll meet certain mums who will tell you, I breastfed, my mum breastfed, so I breastfed. That's yeah. her rationale. And mm. it's an expectation that you breastfeed. It's like in my culture, you're expected to breastfeed your baby unless, you just, unless you've tried and you can't. It's an expectation yes. that you do it. And you yeah. try to do it, for example. So if you just did it from the jump, people would be like, what's wrong with her? Yeah. Why is she not doing it for? You know? So I feel like culturally... They, they, before back in the day there was that people just did it because everyone did it and you had to do it yeah but now people can challenge people can read up about things people are more clued up and people walk into a contact with you more informed so they're ready to challenge ready they're ready to ask questions they're ready to ask you why you know someone even ask you would you do it for your child yeah you know so yeah it's a it's a touchy subject and I think unfortunately there is going to be more decline that's what I think yeah I think if anything like I was saying earlier this the COVID vaccine has made things for all vaccines that little bit harder. 
Mm, Whereas for I us, you know, that. we like we're able to make an informed decision, but those who are very easily influenced, this is just going to make vaccine hesitancy twice as hard, like even even bigger than it already is. Because mm. people people are tired and don't really want to look for their own information, so they're happy to go with what they see online. Yeah, and they won't look at me. Exactly. They will never fully look into it. So we could be talking about the COVID vaccine, but they're thinking all vaccines. They don't care what vaccine it is. Mm. Thinking all of them. True. But hey ho, this is the world we live in. Like you said, people are entitled to make the informed choices. At the end of the day, once your choice has been made, it's not like you can't change it. But yeah, you. I just want people to, I just want us as healthcare to be able to give our service users, patients, whatever you want to call them, proper informed decisions because otherwise, why why are we doing this? It's like we're withholding the truth. Yeah. Mm. It's true. And that shouldn't be the case at all. No. But anywho, on to bigger and better things. Guess what, guys? The podcast has turned two. Oh yes, I've been, I've been meaning to say something about that. Congratulations, guys! Well, it's Mate. all of us, isn't it? Yes, it's yes. Like happy, happy birthday! Mm-hmm. Happy birthday, podcast! I can't believe it, too. So, it how did you guys? Going. How did you guys start it? Like, what was? What gave you that push to just do it? How did it begin? Diane. Oh my God! So basically, I was on a, I was on a night shift one day. Yeah, and you know, like on a night shift, remember I was in room two, Niku, and you're just thinking, like, God, if people actually knew what goes on inside here, and <laughs> actually knew what nurses talk about and know what our jobs are actually like, it'd give a more real life twenty first century perspective to the nursing world and our profession. Yeah. So that's kind of like where the idea birthed from. It was to give people an insight into what nursing is like as a twenty first century nurse. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of, yeah, that's basically how it started, more or less. Um, but I had the idea for a good year before I actually talked about it. Um, mm-hmm. And then eventually I was like, do you know what? Let's just get on with it. Like, there's like if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. So let's just do it. Yeah. And that is how the Nursing Hand Up podcast was born. And here yeah, we are two that. years later. I know. It's that's still crazy. Here. But no, it's great. Like, there's so much more to come. Like, even in the two years alone, look how much has changed. Like, we were still doing shift work at permanent. Yes. Uh, oh my god. Yes. I mean, oh, it's been a, a labor of love. I can't lie. And I, and a I feel labor like, of love. Yeah, <laughs> so true. There's, there's some days you think, and I can't lie, is you have to be committed to deliver every week and be on job with your socials and to be in, to engage and interact. Yeah. Be, you know, looking at what's going on in the world and how it's impacting nursing in different ways. And also you internally need to be in a good space to record and be present and be how you want to be and come off how you want to come off, if that makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but it's also really fun. It's nice to hear people's feedback, people enjoying listening to us, um, people repost us, people talk about us. It's, it's lovely. It's a, it's a nice thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm proud of us. I'm proud of the journey so far same i can't believe it's been a year already since i joined that's gone so quickly honestly like how look how time flies so much and so much has happened jesus 
like it's been oh, tell me about it but this is just two out of many more <laughs> and you know i'm just thankful that we've been here we've got regular listeners and like we've had very much so up and downs but people have been here week in week out ready to listen to us alongside were there with us during our break and things like that so oh yeah here we are god i forgot about our summer break Mm -hmm. yeah it was longer than summer but yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's gone so quick as well wow i'm i'm impressed i'm impressed with us i am impressed but yeah we've got a lot coming this year Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely more interaction more lives some more competitions some more guests um and hopefully one day we can do a live show one day. i think we need to we need to do that it'll be so, so we can cool. put more face well it's only off our, our faces but <laughs> you know we can put ourselves out there a little bit more so people actually yeah. know so actually like, actually like look at our faces oh my exactly God. and they get to put our voices to our to our faces to our faces oh. I know. <laughs> and also no, I guess what is it? like even like our individual journeys as nurses um it intertwines so much in this and I must say like when we make when I make my own decisions I'm also thinking wow like coming to share it yeah and having a very having a safe space to be honest because I think a lot of the time we glaze over things especially as nurses yeah. And yeah, we're very high functioning in that we can get on with we can do so much when so much is falling to shit. And like yes, I just swore. <laughs> but yes. We can be like go, 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 and behind closed doors, it's just you, you know. Yeah. But you know, we maintain this is a safe space, it's a place of honesty and a place of real. You're gonna get very real tea here. No fake. Hundred percent. Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah, we hope to stay true to that for years to come. We hope to. We have to stay true to that. We have that to. Is, that, well, we are open and honest with, the, with what we're telling people. Like, it's our opinions. And, yeah, yeah. you know. Our opinions, country. our experiences, our mm-hmm. thoughts. You know, it's all it's all real and personal. Exactly. Yeah. Like, come for me if there's any issues. But, you know, they are personal views of ours. We never yeah. talk about a holistic view from someone else. All of everything yeah. that is shared is out of our own personal experiences and our own journeys. And I can mm-hmm. only hope that that would also help others. And I'm more than open to hear others if there are any opposing views. Yeah, 100%. Because it's just nice to be able to have a good old chinwag about the issues we're currently facing because we're all facing them. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. So I think that's pretty much it for today, guys. Lovely. And I hope you guys have enjoyed this week's episode. Please like, share, subscribe, all that jazz as you usually do. You can hit us up on our email, uh, which is the ha- nursing handover, the nursing handover pod. Why am I no, the it? first one. The, the first one. Yeah, <laughs> the nursing handover at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. For our Instagram page at the nursing handover podcast. And for us individually, for me, Jerry, it's, oh, how have I forgot my own name? Jerry <laughs> with three L's and two A's. For Diane, it's at DD Lutz with Z. And for Clarissa, it's at Clarissa Ferrara. But until next week, guys, we hope you have enjoyed this. And I hope you guys feel better about, well, no, I surely do, about there being no mandatory vaccines now and that we can mm-hmm. have our jobs. I just hope that they really take a step back 
I really hope they take a step back and realize that it's just not great. It's not good enough. But mm-hmm. we'll see what happens and how it all comes out. But until next week, guys, take care. Take care. And look after yourselves. Indeed. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. See you next week.